Our first reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis and from chapter 4 and reading all of chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions for some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not, did not look with favour. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not you will not be accepted if you do what is right you will not be accepted but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must rule over it now Cain said to his brother Abel let's go out into the field and while they were in the field Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him and then the Lord said to Cain where is your brother Abel I don't know he replied am I my brother's keeper the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant, and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city he named after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehujal, and Mehujal was the father of Mesushal, and Mesushal was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zelah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who placed stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech had said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, than Lamech 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. And the second reading is from Matthew, Matthew 5, and reading from verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, 
and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Amen. Thanks so much for reading for us. Alan, good morning, everyone. The words I'm about to read you may recognize from a particular context. We therefore commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Now that phrase is from the Book of Common Prayer and it is used in the circumstances of death and a burial. And today we have had read for us of the death of Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. It's the first death in the Bible, the first murder, and hopes are dashed. And as we look at this scripture today, we may feel like we're on a bit of a rerun from last week because again, we encounter the dignity that God gave to mankind. But creaturely desire is there lurking at the door. And it will rule the firstborn of Adam and Eve. Yet there is hope for deliverance. God will take care of his disobedient people. And there, right at the end of that chapter 4 in Genesis, there's one line that I think takes us to the future hope that God has in mind from the beginning, the shape of his promises fulfilled finally and fully in the person of the Lord Jesus Messiah. Now, this is not an easy passage. I'm going to pray that God would help us on our journey through it. Would you join me in prayer? Let's talk to our Father in heaven, our gracious God, almighty, and our loving heavenly Father. We would pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the first point that I want to raise with us is, yet again, as last week, the, uh, the idea of dignity. And we're going to have a look at verses 1 to 5 in chapter 4. Dignity. Uh, during the course of this last month, Sarah and I have uh, enjoyed watching the fifth series of the Netflix program, The Crown. You may or may not be familiar with it. 
And uh, throughout this uh, series, we see Her Majesty the Queen maintaining what I would call a dignified posture in the face of all manner of indignities, mostly through the desires of her children being satisfied in all the wrong places. Basically, spoiler alert, uh, three of the four marriages collapse, they all divorce, uh, Her Majesty is the one who seems to be constantly blamed, and then in the end, uh, we see her palace burning down. It's catastrophic. But as I was watching this and reflecting on it, it made me wonder a little bit if this is how God might feel sometimes with his precious children. You see, we had read in Genesis chapter 1 how God had formed and filled and given rest. God made mankind in his image. Man and woman, he created them and he blessed them and he said to them, rule the earth and subdue it. And then in chapter 2, we heard about the life-giving partnership that God gave, that the people he had made would have with him and one another. And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I shall create a helper for him. And so from man, God made woe man. And so it was that a man leaves his father and mother to acquire and cleave to his wife as one flesh. And then we read very sadly last week how in Genesis chapter 3, the woman obeyed her desire, the creaturely desire that was in her, so that it eclipsed the God-given dignity that she had. She said to the serpent all manner of things which weren't true, as she elaborated upon the things that God had said because she wanted to give in to that desire. And the devil, you will remember, spoke through the serpent to ignite in the woman that creaturely desire. And the effect was that the man and the woman disobeyed the word of God. They surrendered themselves instead to the desire that was in them, and they thought they knew better than their creator. And in do doing so, detached themselves from the God-given dignity he had given them in making them in his image. And so the Lord God said, Adam has now become like us, knowing good and evil. They knew the context of nakedness and shame. I'm very sorry about having introduced a bit of my commentary there in the middle of a scripture quote. That bit there in the middle is not scripture, just to be crystal clear. That's my commentary, but the stuff around it is. The outcome is here that... God says, lest he put out his hand and eat and live from the tree of life. Well, God drove Adam out of the garden, didn't he? And he guarded the way to the tree of life. But the wonderful thing that we learned as well is that God delivers. Even though they are cut off from life in that way, he did not turn away from them and he continued to provide for them. And even though they'd lost their dignity and now lived in nakedness and shame, God continued to bless them. They could work the earth, but it would be hard. They would bear children, but it would be painful. But very wonderfully, here in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see that Chava was known by her husband, Adam, and she became pregnant. And a little baby boy was born. Cain, which means acquire or also grounded. And notice that she knew that she needed the help of the Lord to achieve this. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have acquired a man. 
Uh, Cain's name expresses her understanding that life is profound, that life is precious, that even though she was the one who gave birth, God was the one who had given her the womb. God was the one who gave her, if you like, the elements and the processes so that life might come from her. She, her name, Chava, or Eve, as we say, means living, and there is an extraordinary partnership between her and God. Notice that the man's absent in this commentary. It's because the man was involved, and Eve was committed. And retaining a sense of God's providence, she seems to express gratitude for his help, doesn't she? She has one son, and then there's this prospect of a delightful and dignified family. Another son comes too. Abel, his name means vapor or light. And she knows her role in creating, and she knows something of reflecting God's image in her ability to create men. But they are called to the hard work of toil across the earth. And we're told in verses 2, 3, and 4 that Abel kept flocks, he's a shepherd, and Cain worked the earth, he's a farmer. And at the end of time, Cain brought fruit of the earth as offering to the Lord. We read nowhere that God commanded this. There seems to be in these boys a natural desire to worship God, isn't there? Or maybe it's an expression of gratitude to God. Or maybe they're just trying to seek favor with God. We're not told what it is, and many commentators have lots of ideas about this, so let's look at what is actually there. It says that Abel also brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock as an offering, and then God looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look upon with favor. I mean, just take a step back for a moment and look at what God's doing here. For those of us who are parents, you know what it's like when your little ones come and they've drawn pictures for you, right? You love them both, don't you? And so you receive both offerings of pictures and you rejoice in them, even though it might be that one of them's drawn a really good picture and the other one's just drawn a really bad picture. Do, do you look on favor with the good picture and then not look on favor with the bad picture? What's going on here with God? Is God just being a kind of bad parent? Cain was very angry, and his face was very downcast. Anger and depression. Two emotions that are expressed in such a way that they belie another emotion. So what is going on here? There's something wonderful in the way in which Cain reflects God's image and his creative role with the earth. But there seems to be something about it that owns him, that owns his heart. And a function of Cain sharing in the effects of the fall that we read about in chapter 3, we're going to see this creaturely desire that is there in Cain's heart, and the consequences will be catastrophic for this family. But I also want you to note that God is still present in this mess as we look at the nature of desire explained in verses 6 to 12. Have a look with me. This is my second point, desire. Now, um, just this other week, I happened to be looking at a, a website um, which is um, the Tesla website. Do you know Tesla cars? You know, they're these very clever electric cars. They're very shiny. Um, you'll notice I took a little snapshot of the website there. It looks great, doesn't it? Just to me. 
The guy who makes Tesla also makes batteries and rockets. And if you go and visit this website, you'll see just how shiny all these toys are. His name's Elon Musk. He also is currently the richest man in the world. And I just want you to imagine a little, play with this idea with me for a minute. Imagine that you're a website designer. And imagine that Elon Musk got on the telephone to you tomorrow and said, um, hey, Penny, hey, Alan, I'd like you to design my website for my Tesla cars. And as a website designer, you're going, this is great. And so you, you designed that website, which looks really shiny and good. And you look at the work of your hands and you go, that's a good website. That's making those Tesla cars look very shiny and attractive to people. But imagine if one day you started to think to yourself, Elon Musk must be so grateful for me. I mean, Elon Musk, isn't he the one who put all the R&D into making the Tesla cars? Isn't he the one who did all the manufacturing of those cars? Isn't he the one who did the distribution? Isn't he the one who's worth $200 billion? And aren't you the one living in the Illawarra designing websites? You see, I made the website. And he should be so grateful for me, making his cars look so good. He should thank me. You hear how silly this is, right? Like there's just a big disparity in terms of contribution to think that the engineer and owner of Tesla owns you, owes you the honor and glory for making these things. And God sees this desire in the heart of Cain. He sees the desire to have the glory, to rule the situation on his own terms. God provided all the raw materials as he did with Chabah. He provided all the raw material, material sorry, for Cain. And he does not say with the help of the Lord, does he? He has only a sense of entitlement. There's no gratitude in his heart. And yes, Cain works the land well. And he does bring an offering to God, but there's something missing because he's not grateful. And we know this because God reveals it through his word in verses 6 and 7, where he says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Cain took the initiative to do the offerings here. But there's clearly something absent in his heart. And God goes on to say, but if you do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain is mastered by his desire, and he wants the honor. And those presenting emotions of anger and depression are actually hiding something that is broken in his relationship with God and broken in relationship with his brother. Abel gave his offering, and again, it's likely, I think, that his offering was motivated by gratitude because God looked with favor upon it. But then even after this careful encouragement by God to Cain, look what happens next, verse 8. Cain says to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. We don't know whether he killed him intentionally or whether that was just an outcome of his expression of rage. But Cain could not hurt God and so when his desire eclipsed his dignity, he hurt his brother. And it's brutal. And it's a devastating story. The first two boys in creation, and one of them 
kills the other. One is a murderer and one is murdered. And then when the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? We're reminded of what happened in the garden when the Lord said to Adam, where are you? Aye is the word. Where are you? It's not like, where are you, hide and seek? He knows very well where he is. He says, where is your brother? Cain doesn't come up, does he? He says, I don't know. <laughs> In fact, he says, am I my brother's keeper? And yet the blood of his brother has become a fertilizer for the earth. The Lord says to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth. Now you are under a curse and driven from the earth. Cain, whose desire was to work the earth, to create like his creator, but without reference to his creator, and his jealousy for his brother has seen his sinful desire rule over him to the extent that he is now guilty of murder. And the Lord says, the earth has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now when you work the earth, it will no longer yield its crops for you. The curse will extend and it will go from generation to generation to generation. And Cain will become a restless wanderer on the earth. Now I want us to take a step back and just think about what this might mean for us today. Where perhaps we've had occasion where our heart's desire has been something for our own glory rather than for the glory of God. Or perhaps we've had a jealousy for other people that gets expressed in a way that is really dysfunctional. Have you ever had that in your life? In God's providence, I've got a key example that happened to me just yesterday that I'll share with you. I wasn't expecting earlier in the week to share this because um, my hope was that I would have received my brown belt in jiu-jitsu because I've been working really hard this year at training. And there was a grading yesterday. And I had hoped that I would get that belt. But I did not. And my daughter was there. And so there I am watching all these other people get their purple belts and their blue belts, and I'm clapping away and celebrating with them. But you know, something in me was a little disappointed. In fact, my daughter came to me and she asked me, she said, Dad, are you disappointed? I said, a little bit. And then a bit later in the day, I was like, a lot. <laughs> but I have to trust in his divine providence that God did not yet want me to get that grade. And I've got to work on myself in my heart in praying to him to help me, enable me to trust my instructor and his judgment of my readiness to receive that grade. That's not a big thing, right, in the grand scheme of things, is it? But I could get angry and I could get sad. And I know that this could get expressed unhelpfully when I'm on the mats again with the guys who did get their purple belts and blue belts. <laughs> and I'm a wannabe brown belt, just putting that choke on a little extra tighter than I needed to. I might get a little aggressive. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? When our desire overtakes our dignity. And I want to ask you, where's your jealousy? And what are the points in your life where your desire to be right, to be in a space that God has not granted you, eclipses the dignity that he's given you to say, God, I know best. Because it happens for all of us, doesn't it? All the time. Anything that displaces the word and the will of God will leave a vacuum, and that is where sin is lurking at the door, and it will want to come and fill that gap. And I wonder how it is that we are not 
killing physically, but killing one another perhaps with our thoughts and words and actions through the jealousy or the misplaced anger with God. You know how the story goes. The man who's been working very hard at work gets back at the end of a long day and everyone's had a go at him and then his wife says, why haven't you done the dishes? And then the kids say, why haven't you fixed the, 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 the cubby house? And then eventually everything piles up and so he sees the dog and gives it a kick. Let me hasten to add, I've never kicked my dog. <laughs> but you see how the picture works, right? Brothers and sisters, I want to take us into divine deliverance because, and this is my third and final point, divine deliverance. God in the flesh, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, came to save us from our sins. He came to redeem us from that desire in our hearts and to restore our dignity. And Jesus, who gives us his spirit now, enables us as God's kids to do good. And the bar gets set very high. Because Jesus, when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's biography, biography, to his disciples and to us today, says these words when someone makes us angry or sad. You have heard it said long ago that you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment say worthless and speak up in court, say you fool and be in danger of hell's fire. See friends, Jesus' blood shed on the cross was so that all our sinful desires may be forgiven. And so it is that when we know the grace of God, not the blood of the earth of Abel, but the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you and me, so it is then that we are enabled by him to share that forgiveness with others. And so I have to say, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there, says Jesus, in front of the altar. And the better thing is go and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. Our attitude and posture towards God is expressed. The vertical relationship is expressed in how we relate horizontally with one another. And the devil delights in inflaming our desires and our sense of righteousness, doesn't he? But we have no righteousness of our own. We only have the grace of God to us in Jesus. So let us settle matters quickly, especially earthly matters that are of no eternal outcome. And since you and I have been delivered from hell into eternity let us never withhold the grace of forgiveness from one another or indeed those who are in our community and beyond back in genesis 4 cain prays to god for the outcome there's a good model of prayer that he develops here his relationship is such that he begs god to deliver him there's a shift isn't there in his posture, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. You're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will now be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever kill, uh, finds me will kill me. These words are a bit tricky, aren't they? Because at the moment, there's no other people. <laughs> Who's going to kill Cain? Is it going to be the animals? Maybe it's the later generations that will come after him because we read here that now... Adam and Chabah will have another son. Adam, verse 25, knew his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. And she finds some solace in the birth of this boy. 
And she again honors God's provision, verse 25. God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And alongside Seth, Adam and Chabah will have many other sons and daughters, chapter 5, verse 4. And I think it's most likely that Cain finds his wife from amongst them, even though that feels a bit odd to us. Either way, Cain is given divine protection. He is delivered by God. God says, no one will kill you. I will mark you so that you are protected. See, God is gracious. And then we read these verses in 17 to 24 about the genealogy of Cain and his wife. And you'll see that there's Seth's next generation. And it's all a bit confusing. I have to say, I put a little map up here so you can see all the similarities. All the names look almost the same. We begin to wonder what's going on with these next generations. And I have to say, given the fact that Shane gave me Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, I'm quite happy to punt Genesis 5 to him for next week. So he can work that out with you. But I will just note that there seems to be escalation. You'll notice that the name of the animal breeder is Habel. Seems to be like Abel's shepherding leveled up, doesn't it? And you'll notice also that Shubal Cain, name sounds a little bit like Cain Cain, is now a weapons manufacturer. Thank God for the third son, Jubal, who's the muso. But we do see a family going completely off the rails here. We see how this will escalate and evil and killing will continue. And so in generations to come, there will be even more hurt and harm. And we're so thankful when finally Noah comes, who's described as a righteous man. And God will sadly, but firmly bring judgment upon all this evil. But of course, it will happen again after Noah. The last verse, verse 26, though, does give us a hope for the future. Because Seth had a son and he called him Enosh. And that word means man, but it also means eternal. And I think we're given a little taste to look forward to the way in which people will begin to call upon the Lord, verse 26, and even proclaim his name as a new hope in the line from Seth. Because one day from the line of Seth will come the one whom we know as Jesus Messiah, who is untouched by corruption. And even though he had desire and temptation, he never surrendered to sin. And he is the one who is most clearly and enduringly ruling today because nothing is too big for Jesus. His grace is sufficient for you and me. And even when we encounter in this world death, be it murder or cancer or old age, there is a hope in Jesus that is eternal because he is the resurrected and ruling son of God and he will be in glory now and forever. Because when I began with that reading from the Book of Common Prayer, here it is again, it says, we therefore commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but it goes on to say, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior and King. What a balm that is in such a horrific story to know that death itself will be defeated forever and that you and I who trust in Jesus will be with him forever. Let me pray. Our Father God, it is a horrible story that brother would kill brother in these early days of creation. It's such a distress to us to see desire claim Cain and so many others in history over the dignity that had been given to him made in your image, 
And yet we see this desire in our own hearts. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus who has given his life for us, that sin might be put to death and its consequences, even death itself might be put to death. Thank you, Father, for the way in which faith in Jesus redeems us from sin and death and gives us as your people, your spirit who is in us, to help us live in ways that you would like us to live. We can't do it without him. And so we thank you for your spirit who is at work amongst us. And we pray, Father God, that as we await Jesus' return in glory, you would enable us to rule over our desires in your strength and to be a testimony to our watching world for the glory of your name, for the glory of the risen and ruling Savior and King, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.